0: Let's continue in prayer for a uh, moment longer, shall we, as we come to God's Word. Well, the assessment of the temple guards was that no one ever spoke the way that this man does, speaking of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we recognise that if you had done nothing else, your words uh, would still hold fascination for us. Truly no one ever spoke as you do. And we pray now that as we look at your words, you would speak to us afresh. Help me as I speak, help us as we listen, to hear your word for us uh, this evening, and help us to respond to it rightly. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. Uh, As we start, uh, I wonder if you'd do me the favour of opening that passage that we had read uh, a short time ago. It's uh, John chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 11, and you'll find it on page uh, 1,000. And 73 in the Pew Bibles, uh, John chapter 8 uh, verses 1 to 11, page 1073. Uh, the writer Kingsley Amos has been uh, hailed as probably one of the greatest British writers of the 20th century. He wrote many books including "Lucky Jim" and lots of other novels. Uh, he wasn't a follower of Jesus, as far as I know. And yet, shortly before he died, he gave a really interesting interview to the Daily Telegraph newspaper. Again, I say, as far as I know, he wasn't a believer. And yet he said these words. He said, one of Christianity's great advantages is that it offers an explanation for sin. I do not have one. He goes on. And one of the great benefits of religion is that you can be forgiven your sins, which must be... A wonderful thing. That truth which Kingsley Amos identified as being at the heart of Christianity is at the heart of this story that we're looking at uh, this evening. Uh, If you've just joined us, we're in a series of uh, sermons looking at the encounters that different people had uh, with the Lord Jesus over the course of his ministry and what that meant for them. How did an encounter with Jesus transform them Uh, And this week, we see uh, Jesus meeting a woman who has a terrible past. She's got a past uh, that she's ashamed of. Uh, But she's been exposed by the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. And she comes before Jesus fully expecting uh, to face punishment for what she's done. And yet, instead, she finds something completely different she finds mercy. She discovers that at the heart of the message and the ministry of the Lord Jesus is forgiveness. Well, before we get uh, into the meat of the passage, uh, there are, as Alan hinted, a few uh, preliminary issues, shall we say, that we probably ought to uh, clear up. If you look in your uh, Bibles, you've got them open in front of you, uh, you can probably see there are all these sort of funny marks around this little uh, section of uh, John's Gospel. It's sort of portioned off. Um, some Bibles put it in a different font, but there's a little uh, sort of footnote, I suppose, or bracket, which says uh, the earliest manuscripts and other ancient witnesses did not have John chapter 7, verse 53, through to chapter 8, verse 11. Uh, there are many, many scholars who've tried uh, time and time again to understand exactly what's going on with this. Why is this uh, the situation? What do we make of this, uh, this sort of anomaly, as it were? Uh, the truth is that almost certainly. This little section that we're looking at tonight was not originally part of John's Gospel. It probably wasn't even written by him, uh, to be honest. It wasn't written by the Apostle John. Uh, The reason for that is uh, there's none of the early copies of the Gospel include it. It just simply isn't there. Um, None of the early church fathers, so some of the first Christians who wrote uh, commentaries explaining John's Gospel, include it. Uh, The only thing we can surmise from that is that simply they didn't know it was there. They didn't have it as part of Um, their john's gospel as it were Uh, all of which suggests that it probably isn't genuine what should we do with it should we scrap it and tear it out and uh, throw it away well i think uh, there's a few things that we can say about it Uh, i don't think anyone who reads it can fail to be moved by it 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 is a very very moving story Uh, very very powerful Uh, Almost everyone in the history of Christianity has agreed that it it feels like a real account from the life of the Lord Jesus. There's something about it which just seems real. Uh, Lots of explanations could be given for it, but here's the one that I think I find personally most convincing. You're free to uh, take it or leave it. Uh, I think it most likely, it was probably written by one of the other Gospel writers. Uh, I'd hazard a guess it's probably St. Luke, because just the the language that he uses is quite similar uh, to Luke. Uh, And probably at some point, uh, long ago, lost in the uh, mists mists of time, uh, it was inserted here by somebody as a sort of, I guess, an illustration, an illustrated example of Jesus' attitude to judging others. Um, If you look sort of at the the bits either side of it, uh, it's all about judgment and Jesus' attitude to it. Uh, And this is sort of inserted as an example of uh, of, uh, how Jesus approached things. So I think, therefore, we are right to look at it. We're right to consider it this evening. We shouldn't just rip out the page and throw it away. But at the same time, I think we should be cautious about using it uh, as an authority to build up too much uh, on top of it. So there we go. There's some of the uh, preliminaries. We could uh, talk forever about them, but we won't. We'll move on. Uh, the story centres on this woman who's brought before Jesus. Uh, and yet actually, I think uh, it's, both, it's the case that both the woman and the Jewish religious leaders have an encounter with Jesus uh, that changes them. And I want to look at each of them uh, in turn. Uh, Let's have a look first at the uh, encounter that the scribes and the Pharisees had with Jesus. Uh, And I think their encounter uh, teaches that Jesus exposes sin. Jesus exposes sin. In chapter 7, St. John has told us that Jesus has been at the uh, Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Uh, His teaching has been causing the religious leaders Uh, to start plotting against him, to stop his influence and uh, to put an end to his challenge uh, to their authority. I mean, I've said we can't be exactly sure of the original context of uh, the verses we're looking at, uh, but it seems quite likely that because their attempts to remove him at the feast had failed, uh, they started plotting to try and find uh, an alternative. Uh, They hatched this sort of alternative plan to trap him It was very common in Jesus' time to to bring difficult uh, cases uh, to a rabbi for his judgment, uh, which explains, I guess, why they came to Jesus uh, with this woman, uh, to give his opinion uh, about her. Uh, For the Jews, adultery was a very, very, very serious crime. Uh, One rabbi said that a Jew should rather die than commit adultery, murder, or idolatry. It was right up there. Uh, on the sort of list of crimes that a Jew would rather die uh, than commit. Uh, It carried with it a potential death sentence. Um, It was one of the most serious offences in the Jewish law. Uh, Back in Leviticus, in chapter 20, uh, we're told that if a man committed adultery with the wife of his neighbour, both parties should be put to death. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, 22 lays down stoning as the punishment if the uh, woman... Was a virgin who was betrothed or engaged uh, to another man. And this is where the scribes and the Pharisees seek to trap Jesus. Uh, If he agreed with them that this woman ought to be put to death, uh, he would be accused, I guess, by uh, others of lacking mercy. Uh, or potentially of inciting rebellion against the Roman authorities. Only the Romans were allowed to put someone to death. If Jesus is implying that she's guilty of the death and and worthy of the death sentence, uh, he could be seen uh, as inciting rebellion against uh, the Romans. But on the other hand, if he doesn't agree with what the scribes and the Pharisees say, uh, they could very easily accuse him of not supporting the law of Moses, of not really being a true Jew, and that would undermine... Uh, completely uh, his claims. Either way, it seems as though Jesus couldn't win. He's trapped on this uh, dilemma. I mean, the fact that they're only interested in trapping Jesus can be seen in the fact they only bring the woman. Uh, Where is her partner? It takes two to commit adultery. Uh, Where is the the man in all this? We don't know. They were only interested in using this woman as a pawn to try and uh, trap Jesus, uh, most likely sitting around are the temple guards, the, uh, the Romans, the Roman soldiers, uh, probably listening in intently, ready to pounce if Jesus uh, says anything that implies that he's inciting rebellion. The situation is on an absolute knife edge. It couldn't get any more tense. It's sometimes said of great, uh, great leaders and great generals that they always seem to know what, exactly what their opponents are thinking. They're always sort of one step ahead of the game. Uh, I think the same can be said of Jesus here. His answer is absolutely astonishing in its wisdom and perception. Uh, verse 7, uh, he says, uh, uh, they kept on questioning him, and he straightened up, and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin... Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus doesn't deny the law, because essentially he gives permission for uh, them to start, uh, start stoning. And yet at the same time, do you see that the qualifications that he lays down for carrying out the sentence prevent anyone from doing it? He's clear that far from singling out one crime in particular, as uh, as the scribes and the Pharisees are doing, they're picking out on this woman's adultery, he's saying that actually all of us are guilty in our own way. If the Pharisees are going to single out this woman as a lawbreaker, then they too must also accept that in the eyes of God, they're lawbreakers as well. They are as much deserving of the punishment Uh, that God has laid down, as she is. I I guess most of us are quite happy to recognise wrongdoing in other people and to support their punishment. So you think of the outcry when uh, Jimmy Savile's crimes were revealed. Uh, Very few people uh, would have uh, said that he should be let off uh, and uh, and that he shouldn't be punished, or think of, I don't know, the Moores murders or something like that. Uh, Very few people are arguing for Ian Brady uh, to be released. And yet we're far less comfortable when we start to realise that actually we're in the same boat. We can try and distance ourselves from these individuals, we can sort of put them on a pedestal of evil if we want to put it like that, but actually the truth is we're all in the same boat, we should all be on that pedestal. Perhaps we haven't killed anyone, we might say. But then Jesus said that uh, if we have angry thoughts about someone, that's essentially no different. He said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe we haven't had illicit sex. Maybe we're not like this woman, we think. We haven't committed adultery. And yet Jesus said to even consider bedding somebody who isn't our spouse, who isn't our husband or wife, is adultery. Uh, Whether we like it or not, every single one of us, uh, me and you, we've all broken God's standards. uh, And we deserve his his wrath, his just anger uh, directed at our sin. Um, there's a story told of the great preacher, uh, George Whitfield, uh, who apparently was once preaching at, uh, uh, near some gallows where criminals were taken uh, to be executed. Uh, as he was preaching, he saw another man being taken off uh, for his uh, execution. And the story goes that he stopped his sermon in the middle of it. He was preaching to a great crowd, and he said, pointing at that man, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Uh, he realised that he wasn't in a position to start pointing the finger. Uh, As St Paul said, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This encounter, the scribes and the Pharisees with the Lord Jesus, reminds us that all of humanity is in the same boat. None of us are any different. All of us have broken God's law and we deserve his justice. Jesus exposes sin in this first encounter. Well, let's have a look at the encounter of the woman uh, with the Lord Jesus, shall we? And I I think the big lesson of that encounter is that Jesus forgives sin. Jesus forgives sin. Uh, Verse uh, 8. Again, we're told, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Well, in the light of Jesus' response, it's hardly surprising, is it, that the religious leaders slope off. Uh, He's exposed them for what they are. They're plotting against him. Uh, They're manipulating this sorry story of this woman's uh, adultery. Uh, He's exposed their own sin that they would rather just push in the background and ignore. Jesus and the woman are left alone. And I wonder what she was thinking at this point. Her mind is probably all over the place. Maybe she's thinking, uh, well, he's basically upheld the law. He said that the law is right. Is this the moment that he's... Is he going to be the one who picks up and throws the stone? Is he going to be the one who enforces the sentence? And yet Jesus' words to her encapsulate his message... And his mission. Verse 11. Neither do I condemn you. This is the holy God made flesh. God in human form. It's the God who said to his people. Be holy for I am holy. The great refrain of the Old Testament. This woman stands in front of him. As somebody who has broken his law. She fully deserves the punishment. That the law uh, lays out for her. And yet, Jesus refuses to pass the sentence on her. Why? It is because, as we saw a few weeks ago, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The whole purpose of the Lord Jesus' coming is to save people like this woman, uh, people who have failed to honor God's law, who fail to live up to his standards who by right should face the judgment uh, that the law demands. And yet instead, he decrees that they should receive the full measure of his grace. Uh, There's a story told about how a Frenchman was sentenced to death for a crime. Uh, And his mother wrote to the Emperor Napoleon uh, to plead for his release. Well, the Emperor called her uh, to, uh, to meet him And he explained that, well, the son had committed the offence and justice demanded that the sentence be carried out and that he die. Well, I don't ask for justice, said the woman. I ask for mercy for my son. Well, the emperor said, well, your son doesn't deserve mercy. And yet the woman said, well, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy, would it? And the man was pardoned, so the story goes. Jesus' words to the Pharisees reveal that all of us stand before him like this woman. We fully deserve his justice. And yet, in his grace, he offers us his pardon and his mercy. It's what we really don't deserve. And yet, still, he gives us. It's astounding, isn't it? And rightly, we should read this chapter and be open-mouthed with astonishment that we do get what we don't deserve. And yet, at the same time, I think we should recognise that there are two traps that we could fall into. And I want you to spend a little bit of time thinking about them, because they are important. There are two traps. Firstly, we mustn't fall into the trap of thinking that forgiveness means that Jesus simply sort of overlooks sin, or ignores it, shall we say. Uh, the second part of his answer to the woman makes that very clear. Verse 11, he says, Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus is very clear. What she's done is sinful. He doesn't try and pretend that it's not. It is sinful. And he's equally clear that the response to his grace can't be just to simply carry on as if nothing else, nothing else has happened. If he is truly to forgive us, then there must also be uh, repentance, Uh, that uh, turning away uh, from uh, what we have done in the past, that old life, and turning away to live for him, to put him first, Uh, and to to live for him. Uh, One preacher I heard said this, uh, sin forgiven must always lead to sin forsaken. Sin forgiven must always lead to sin forsaken. Forsaken. Uh, We mustn't think uh, that Jesus uh, just indulges or overlooks sin. He doesn't. He calls it out a sin, and he's very clear about that. And he expects us, once we're forgiven, to leave it, uh, to leave it behind. And there's a second trap, though. Uh, Second, we must not fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus' forgiveness uh, has had no has no cost. Uh, It did have a cost. It's a cost that isn't borne by us or by the woman. Wonderfully but it was born by him at the cross. Uh, We catch a glimpse of it in his words at the garden just before he went to uh, his death. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. We catch it in his words uh, from the cross himself as he hung there dying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, The cost of forgiveness, forgiveness for this woman, forgiveness for us, was the separation of Jesus the Son from God the Father as he bore our sin in his body on the cross. Jesus explained that his death was a ransom for many. That is, he he died that we might be brought back from the slavery of death and sin to enjoy the freedom of eternal life uh, with him. Uh, We're told, Jesus said, that he drained uh, the cup That's that's why he said, Father, take this cup away from me. The cup is an old image in the Bible of God's judgment. Uh, He took the cup that we should have drunk, he drained it to its very dregs on our behalf. Uh, The price of our freedom, our forgiveness, was the price of his blood. We can never say that forgiveness has no cost. It does. But Jesus paid it, so we don't have to. We've got no way of knowing what happened to this woman after this encounter with Jesus. Uh, But I I, I don't know, I find it very hard to believe uh, that she simply went back to her old ways. Uh, God is the God of the second chance. He invites all of us to come to him. Whatever we've done, whatever our past, uh, whatever we think uh, is wrong with us. And he invites us to find forgiveness because of the death of his son for us. And when we come to him, as this woman did, uh, we will find forgiveness. Not only forgiveness, but the chance to start again. A fresh start, to live a new life with him. With him at the centre, for the rest of our lives. I don't know what your situation is uh, this evening, but it may be for some of you. Uh, You're conscious that you need a fresh start. Uh, You're conscious you need this forgiveness. Uh, This uh, uh, being uh, set free uh, from an old life of sin that only the Lord Jesus can offer. We're going to have some uh, folks uh, down at the side here by the, by the chapel uh, who would love to pray through things with you. Uh, if you want to come and pray, please do. Uh, it may be that you are a follower of Jesus. You've known his forgiveness in the past. And perhaps there's just something in the back of your mind that you know that uh, you've done. And, and you just wonder, could, is, that, is, it, is it all over? Will he have me back? The answer is he will. Uh, come and receive his forgiveness afresh. I started with that um, interview uh, with Kingsley Amos, uh, and apparently it said that immediately after uh, making that statement about forgiveness, uh, he apparently dropped his head in despair. uh, And his words were, I've got no one to forgive my sins. Well, this story, I think, shows that no one needs to say that. Nobody at all. All of us stand before Jesus ashamed and condemned by sin we deserve his judgment and yet to each one of us to this woman of course an adultery uh, even to the scribes and the pharisees he wouldn't receive his forgiveness to uh, each one of us tonight jesus offers us that forgiveness that fresh start uh, neither do i condemn you he says go now and leave your life of sin let's pray shall we Lord it's uncomfortable to feel the searching power of your word. We do uh, stand before you as those who know that we have broken your law. Uh, We have not lived uh, lives that are pleasing to you. Uh, We know that we deserve the sentence of death. And yet we praise you that because of your death in our place, you offer us forgiveness. Uh, You offer us a fresh start. Uh, And we pray this evening you would forgive us. Help us to put you first, to live for you. Pray for any tonight who are especially wrestling uh, with something that they know is bothering them, that's come between uh, themselves and and you. And we pray that they would find forgiveness at the cross. Uh, Help us, we pray, to live this life, to go and leave our life of sin and to live for your praise and glory. Amen.